show evidence of having been partially devoured by their murderers. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Murder with Friends, the podcast where I tell my friends my favorite true crime stories. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give me a five-star rating and a review. It really helps people find the podcast. Today's episode is probably the most notorious serial killer in America. If you guessed it, it is John Wayne Gacy. I will have to do this in two parts. The second part will come out next Friday, but that will give me an opportunity to catch up so y'all can get all of these episodes every Friday. I will not make you guys wait any longer, so let's do it. Warning, this podcast is for mature audiences only. Yes, I'm talking to you, little girl covered up with her unicorns and her Care Bears. This will give you nightmares. There will be talks of murder, rape, and a lot of foul language on my part. So go to bed. Hello, Willie P. Hello. What is wrong with you today? It just got kind of late. I thought we were going to do this earlier. Alright, well, today's topic is going to be about John Wayne Gacy. Do you know anything about him? Yeah, he's probably a serial killer. He is. Very good. Do you know how many people he killed? Over 30. Yes. Killed 33 boys. One of them was a woman. No? Sure. Sure. He killed 33 boys in seven years. The bodies were found under his crawl space. One was buried underneath the garage and four were found in the Des Plaines River. This is in Chicago. Or no. Uh, scratch that. It's in Iowa? Yeah, Iowa. Eighth grade geography lesson coming back to me. Yeah. John Wayne Gacy came up in your geography lesson? There's planes. Oh, okay. John's defense was he had multiple personalities. And all of them like to kill young boys? No, only one did. It was John the contractor, John the politician, John the clown, and Jack. He said Jack did evil things. A little background. Well, actually a lot of background. We're off the edge of the mat now, Jack. Can't hit the monsters. What? <laughs> What's that off of? It's one of the packs of the Caribbean movies. Oh, he definitely wasn't Jack Sparrow. Probably wanted to be. Alright, so he was born March 17th, 1942 in Chicago. He was the second child and the only son of John Stanley Gacy and Marion Elaine Robinson. His father was an auto mechanic and his mom was a homemaker. He was really close with his mom and his two sisters. Uh, this really made his dad mad because he wasn't that close to his dad. 
Because. Well, I haven't gotten there yet. He liked to murder young boys. He was obviously gay. Yeah. He had wives. Yeah, but he did. He had two so, wives. So did Elton John. <laughs> and he was a fairy. <laughs> For sure. I'm sorry, not a fairy, a queen. Yes, queen. Yeah. His dad was an alcoholic and very abusive. He called he called him on the regular, dumb, stupid, sissy, mama's boy, and said he was quote, he was probably gonna grow up queer. They could tell the future, you didn't know. Multiple friends witnessed his father beating him for no reason. John never fought back. He still loved his father. He just felt as though he was never good enough. When he was four, he was molested by a mentally challenged girl. She was 15. At age six, he started stealing his mother's underwear. He said that he liked the way they felt. And at age 12, his mom found her underwear in his possession and threatened to make him wear them. Some threat. Yeah. You don't threaten that to a 12-year-old. I think that, like, messed him up a little bit. Because the beatings and the molestation. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, it was, was a little bit of everything. the camel's back was. No. <laughs> In 1949, his father was informed that him and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. His father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. A razor strap doesn't have a razor on it. It's for sharpening. Yes. A straight razor for sharpening. Yeah. It's very thick leather strap. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably hurt like that. Well, yeah, I figured that'd be worse than a belt. Doesn't it have metal principles on it, like at each end? I mean, maybe. Um, it's usually just a strap about a foot long, maybe two foot long. Yeah. And uh, it's real thick. Yeah. I, I imagine it's, it's akin to being beat with a water hose. As far as the... I've never been beaten with a water hose. It's so. not fun. Oh, <laughs> Will P got beat with a water hose? I got smacked with it several times. I don't say I got beat with it because I was running. In 1949, he was seven years old. Uh, a family friend contractor would pick him up and have him do jobs with him. Oh. Seven. Seven. And he would sexually molest him. Um, he said that he hated going with him, but his dad kind of made him to, like, toughen him up and be, like, a contractor. You know, do manly shit. So his dad sent him out there to be a catamite. Yeah, I've never heard that word before. What is that? A catamite was a young boy who would trade, not sexual favors, but his body to learn a trade. Oh, see, I didn't know that. But as a child, he was very overweight. Uh, Due to a heart condition, he was told to avoid any and all physical activity. In the fourth grade, he began to experience blackouts. He was hospitalized multiple times. Between the ages of 14 and 18, he spent almost a year in the hospital. 
which caused his grades to decline from missing school so much. His father thought he was faking it to gain sympathy. So he beat him more. Well, he openly, yeah, basically, he openly said it to him while he was lying in a hospital bed, and he would beat him while he was sick and in a hospital bed. Good job, Dad. Yeah, great job, Dad. Wonderful nursing staff they had. Oh, yeah. His condition was later diagnosed. I can't even begin to pronounce it, but he really did have a heart condition. He went to four different high schools until he dropped out and he moved to Vegas. In Vegas, he was an assistant precinct captain for the Democratic Party. No, everyone loved him. He thrived in politics. Um, his father didn't like it and called him a patsy. Yeah. What um, what's a patsy? I looked it up and I could. Patsy. Yeah. It's just a. It's like a schmuck. You know what a schmuck is? I've heard it like on um. Always Sunny and Phil Duff. Danny DeVito. Like a a douchebag. But a patsy's like lesser than that. Like it's kind of like calling somebody a sissy. Yeah. Uh, while he was in Vegas, he experienced the blackouts again. His hospital bill was $36, which isn't very much in our times. If I had a hospital bill that was $36, I'd be jumping up and down. But he couldn't pay it. He didn't have a job that paid money. Um, so he convinces them to give him a job driving an ambulance, which he was not qualified for whatsoever uh they found out that he didn't have a diploma so he got fired he got a job at a mortuary he slept on a cot outside of the embalming room and the last night he was there it was rumored that he got caught fondling a corpse of a teenage boy he called his mom and asked her if he could come home so of course she let him he enrolled at northwestern business college after graduating he worked as a shoe salesman at Nunbush Shoe Company. He excelled in that too. He was very confident shoe salesman and he could sell anything. Most psychopaths can. He transferred to management in Springfield, Illinois. That's when he joined the JC's organization. What he did there was networking, training skills, and community service. The ages in the JCs ranged from 18 to 40. Eventually, he climbed up the ranks to Keeman. In 1965, he was the VP of the JCs in Springfield, and he was voted third most outstanding JC in Illinois. In 1965? Yes. And he was born in 1949? Yeah. So he was 14? He was born in 1942. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was about to say. <laughs> a lot of stuff to do before you. <laughs> in 1963, he met Marilyn Myers at the shoe store. He married her in nine months. 
Maryland's family owned some KFC franchises in Waterloo, Iowa. Her father offered John three of the franchises. So, of course, they packed up and they moved to Iowa and they lived in her parents' home. He was very active in the Waterloo community and the JCs in Waterloo. And his main focus was on littering and pollution. That was like his platform. In 1967, he was voted most outstanding vice president of the JCs and given a seat on the board of directors. Now, with this, the JCs had a section, just like any, just like any organization, the JCs had a part that was filled with drug use and illegal activity. And he was in charge of the enrollment. What do you think he had to do to enroll these people into the JCs? You're talking about like just the whole organization or the, the illegal activity part? The whole. The whole. I might have to say uh, propositioning for a blowjob. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like that kind of guy. Mainly, he threw wild parties in hotel rooms. Um, in the hotel rooms, they would show stag films and organize orgies with prostitutes. Wow, like a great time. Yeah, you know. Um, him, and his, him and his wife started swinging, and in 1967, they had a boy. 1968, they had a little girl. Everything seemed perfect. His father finally showed him some respect. You know, he he's not living in the house anymore. He's he's not even living in his her parents' house anymore. They got kids, he's got a job, and it seemed very perfect. But as we know, in any tragedy, it's never perfect. He was always seen with teen boys. Um, at KFC, he would hire a bunch of teen boys. His ego was getting bigger. He forced everyone he worked with at KFC to call him the Colonel. Eventually, he turned his basement into a man cave. Um, in the man cave, he would play porn, and he had a pool table. And he would invite teen boys to hang out, get them higher drunk, and watch porn. And he would sexually assault them. Now, I don't know about you, but me and my friends don't just watch porn together. Especially two, two guys watching porn together, just not. No. I mean, he would have parties. Like, ten guys sitting there watching porn. It's not a party. That's a sausage fest. <laughs> Some people would call that a circle jerk. <laughs> um, I'll be right back. Where are you going? Willie P's back. <laughs> and he's smiling. A, smile, a small intervention. Yeah. Started drinking. <laughs> and you're going to see a pattern here where he gets the boys to do jobs around his house. And then he gets them drunk or high and he sexually assaults them. Um, that happened all the time to... Just about every boy that came near him. Uh, he hired 
a 15-year-old. His name was Donald. He hired him to do a few jobs around the house, got him drunk, sexually assaulted him. But he messed up because Donald's father was in the JCs. So as soon as he got done, he went and he told his dad. And they went to the police. And another 16-year-old boy came out and told his story. Casey was arrested on sodomy charges and attempted assault of the 16-year-old. Casey denied it, of course. He said it was consensual. He said it was a setup because Donald's dad didn't want him to be elected president of the JCs. Gacy hired 18-year-old Russell Stroder to take care of this for him. He paid him $300 to beat up Donald so he wouldn't show up to court. Yeah, back then, 300 bucks, I didn't beat him until he couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. Stroder lured Donald into the woods, sprayed him with pepper spray, Punched him in the face. That's it? Yep. For $300? For $300. Casey got cheated. Yeah. I mean, just, no, 300 bucks back then. Somebody had to come get him. Donald ran to the police again. Police picked up Russell. Russell admitted straight off the gate that John told him to do it. He was charged with conspiracy. Um, he pled guilty to the sodomy charges and sentenced to 10 years. In the Iowa State Prison System. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a model prisoner. He got his high school diploma while he was in prison. He got a job as the head cook. He got no fights. December 27th, 1969, his father died of cirrhosis of the liver. It hurt him really bad. Uh, the prison... Yes. And the prison didn't let him attend. Of course not. And at this point, Marilyn divorced him. He said, and I quote, she and the kids were dead to me. He was let out on good behavior in October 1971. um, He had had 12 months of probation. He went back to Chicago, which I didn't know you could do that. I guess it was part of his probation that he had to live with his mom. Depending on the state, different states have different laws. Yeah. Even in this state, you can get, you can sign a certain paperwork to where you can go to another state. That's the only family you've had, per se. Yeah, true. But if you got in any trouble, they'd ship your ass right back here. Yeah. He got a job as a cook and a contractor. He saved money, and his mom helped him buy a home in Duplain, Iowa. She moved in with him because it was still his probation. He had to live with his mom. So his mom moved in with him in the new place. In February 1981, he lured a teen boy, tried to rape him. He ran to the police. He was charged with sexual assault again. The boy didn't show, and the case was dismissed. He skated. Hmm. I wonder how that happened. Somehow, this didn't get back to his probation officer. I guess he wasn't in jail long enough. Sometimes if you're not in jail long enough, like, she does it. Yeah, anything, yeah. Um, And this is when the killing started. He got a big head. You know, once you 
get away with something for so long, you want more. Six of the 33 that were killed were unidentified. Or I missed that. Well, they were down there for so long, they were just bones. And if they, you know, get the DNA and they're not in the system, then... Especially back in that time, I imagine dental records and stuff weren't Top-notch, yeah. Know, it was just harder to come across them like that. Right. January 2nd, 1974, Timothy Jack McCoy, he was 16. He was sleeping at a bus station in Chicago. He was offered a ride and a place to stay for the night. So he offered the boy food. He offered him a place to stay for the night. He said, I'll bring you right back in the morning. He said, let's go sightseeing. You can stay at my house. I'll feed you. I'll feed you breakfast. Like, just come on. So that's what they did. When they left, they, they went sightseeing. He let him stay over. Gacy stated that when he woke up, the kid was standing at the door with a knife. He said he felt threatened, straddled him, and stabbed him to death. And then, you know, after cleaning up, he went into the kitchen and he found out that the boy was making breakfast. Whoops. <laughs> Could you imagine... Like, that's just... If I just woke up one morning and you are standing at the door with a big butcher knife, I'd be like, look, this is not going to end well. <laughs> so, yeah, he walked into the kitchen. There was breakfast, two place settings. He said he was totally drained after killing him because this is his first kill. And he said he listened to his gurgles, his last breath, and he had the best orgasm of his life. And that's when I realized... Death was the ultimate thrill. And he put him in the cross space. No, I thought the killing story No. This was the first kill. Those boys got away. July 1st, 1972, he got married to Carol Hoff. She was just divorced. She had two daughters. She was aware of his prison sentence. Um... You know, of course, they always make up reasons. Oh, that wasn't me. That was another guy. And this, that, that, and the other. And, of course, it's never their fault. Weeks after the marriage, he was charged with sexual assault again. He pretended to be a cop and forced a guy to perform oral sex on him. I say guy. Boy. Yeah. Fuck that. Shoot me. But the charges got dropped. I don't get how that happens. How can you get charges dropped for the same offense so many times? Yeah, I mean, you got to think. It's, back then, it's not like it is now. It, it wasn't like it is now. They didn't have the, uh, the what is it, BICAP? The, they didn't have the, the system on the computer. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole... Nation. They didn't communicate. No, I mean, there was just very little communication between states and counties and, and stuff. So, yeah. you, can, you could commit several crimes in different places and none of them would know about the individual. You know. Those were the days. Well, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> 
can go back. <laughs> I think quite a few burglaries during that day. <laughs> Um, his second victim was unidentified. It was January 1974. He was between the ages of 14 and 18. He was wearing a silver ring on his ring finger. He had brown hair. Turns out he was strangled and put in the closet until his mother went away for the weekend and then put in the crawl space. He was leaking fluid from his mouth and stained his carpet. And from then on, you'll notice he puts cloths down their throat or their own underwear down their throat so it doesn't leak fluid out of their mouth and nose. Because he graduated from stabbing to strangling. Right. He was actually put in the crawl space 15 feet from the barbecue pit where he... Eventually throws all of his parties and stuff. And it's very weird to find out that he had all of these parties with all these bodies in his house. Partying with the people that I killed. I mean, I mean that's like the ultimate, like, in your face. I know something you don't know. And this is when he started being Pogo the Clown. This guy right here. Pogo the Clown. Yeah, the creepy-ass snow globe you got on the desk over there. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. smiling at me. I just want to stab him in the face with my knife. <laughs> yes, that one. That guy. He dressed up as Pogo the Clown to go to kids' parties. He hosted parties as Pogo. Um, he went to kid hospitals. He was not a professional clown. He did not go to clown school. In 1974, he started his own contracting business. It was called Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance Incorporated. PDM for short. And, of course, that only gave him more leeway to hire teen boys. Not only can he work them for nearly nothing, but... Also, he can sexually assault them and kill them. We're going to start with the murders. Are you ready? No. There's like 30 freaking four of them. 33. All right. So, I'm going to try to, like, go past them as fast as I can. But there is some, you know, the ones that are identified, I would like to tell their story. And Edward Lynch, he was 16. He worked at the KFC. They were playing a game of pool. Him and another guy. And he was like, hey, whoever wins this game of pool, I'll give him a blowjob. Well, Edward won, but he refused the blowjob. He's like, yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. And Gacy got a knife. He cornered him in his bedroom, and he cut his arm. When he saw the blood, he immediately started apologizing and bandaging his arm. They went back to the basement. Um, he said that he wanted to leave. He tried to lure him back in with, like, some porn. He was like, it's cool, man. We'll just sit here and watch porn together. Because that would make me feel better after <coughs> um, being attacked. He chained and padlocked his arms behind his back. He said, can you get out? And pushed him into a chair and tried to molest him. He kicks Gacy onto the floor. Gacy got a cot and chained his feet and started to choke him. Edward pretended to black out, and then immediately Gacy got concerned and just drove to home. Michael Reed, he was 20 years old. Gacy was cruising 
Chicago. Cruising is kind of like BTK, call it trolling for victims. Yeah, cruising. Yeah. Gacy offered him a job and offered to give him a blowjob. Reed started the maintenance business with Gacy around the neighborhood. He moved in and slept in Gacy's bedroom. Gacy asked Reed to get a fuse he dropped under the workbench. Gacy hit him over the head with a hammer, but it didn't knock Reed out. So he was just like, hey man, what the fuck? And he said, I don't know. I had the sudden urge to kill you. Damn you, Jack. The next day, Reed moved out. (laughs) Imagine why. The next day. Yeah. I was like, why not move out right then? But um, Carol got really suspicious of the garage and the horrible smell that was coming from the crawl space. There were black bugs coming out. And so Gacy poured some quicklime and he poured some cement under there to kind of seal the smell. He told his wife it was just a water runoff from the broken sewer pipe. Something tells me that that doesn't smell the same. It doesn't, but if you didn't know what the decaying body smelled like. David Edgecombe, he worked with Gacy. He actually quit to go on vacation, and Gacy came and knocked on his bedroom window one night to go to a party. So he was like, all right, that's cool, but I'm bringing my dog. And he brought his husky. They went to the Democratic Precinct headquarters, Gacy offered him cash to drink a half pint of rum. And of course, after he drank it, he ended up passing out. He woke up in a garage handcuff and he was straddling him and choking him. He said, you some bitch, you'll never quit on me again. Could you imagine waking up to that? That's so scary. David was fighting and screaming. His dog tried to get in and was freaking out. Gacy stopped what he was doing and drove him home. He does that a couple times. I don't I don't understand like he just shuts it off and just drives him home. He's like, yeah, this isn't gonna work. To somebody home after you try to kill him. I'm sorry, if you stri- if you chain me up and straddle me and choke me out and then you're like, Alright, I'm just gonna let you go, cool. As soon as you turn around, I'm gonna stab you in the back with a pocket knife. Just the kind of person I am. Yeah. I'm not only gonna let you get one. So, Gacy would do this thing. It's called the handcuff trick. He would put on the handcuffs, and he would get out of the handcuffs. And then, of course, guys being guys, they're like, hey, how'd you do that? And he's like, here, try it yourself. I bet you can't do it. So, they, he put, the guys would put them on, and they're like, hey, man, how'd you do that? Because I can't get out of these. He said, you know how you get out of them? You need the key. And then from there, he would pull down their pants and molest them. Do you know why police officers now uh, <clears throat> handcuff you behind your back? Why? Just about no matter what. What? Because binding your wrist together with a chain can actually be a very powerful weapon because the chain's not going to break. You're not going to pull your hands off and if you can get it around somebody's neck yeah, you can kill them. 
Right. Pretty easily. Crystal wind pipe, you know. Right. Circulation off, all that stuff. Next, there was Tony Antonucci. He was 16 years old. In 1975, he volunteered to clean up the Democratic Precinct headquarters under Gacy. Um, he was 16, tall, athletic, and he was a wrestler. Gacy made a pass at him. Tony was like, no. Stop that shit. Gacy would not stop. Tony picked up a chair and threatened him. He, of course, was like, hey, man, I was just joking. Like, calm down. A month later, he shows up at Tony's home while his parents weren't there and invites him to a party. He shows him the handcuff trick, but he doesn't snap the cuffs all the way. So when Gacy aggressively tries to undress him, Tony flips Gacy on the floor, snaps one cuff onto him, flips him back on his stomach. He held a knee to his back of his head, snaps the other cuff onto him. Gacy is (coughs) pissed. I bet. Handcuff trick didn't work. He said, I'm not letting you go until you calm down. Realizing that he bested him, he was like, all right, I'm cool, and he let him go. And that was it. Carol found some Polaroids of naked boys. Some of them had blood on them. As soon as she showed him those pictures, he was like, yeah, I think we should sleep with other people. I don't think we should sleep together anymore. She's like, yeah, no shit. I imagine. (laughs) You can only imagine how that conversation went. In 1975, Gacy's mother moved to Arkansas. Almost immediately when she moved, she ended up breaking her hip, and Carol went to go help his sister take care of her. His next victim was 18-year-old John Bukovich. They were like buddies. Like, it was Little John and Big John. He was his right-hand man. Over all the time, he treated him like family. He owed him money for using PDM contracting account to pay for an apartment. And so he was finally down to the last $300, and apparently he had quit. They had had a huge argument about his $300, so he had quit, and John Gacy did not pay him his last paycheck. Little John came to his house with friends, demanding his paycheck. Gacy said, hey, you know, we could all hang out in the garage He said he smoked weed, drank, and then all of a sudden, little John was laying on the floor dead. He doesn't know what happened. From what I gather, they were drinking and smoking and having fun, and then they left. And he went cruising again. He noticed little John in uptown. Little John jumped in front of the car and was still pissed about the money. So he brought him home, got him more drunk. They argued. He argued to the point where he was nervous about his heart condition. You know, that he would black out. So he used the handcuff trick. So, of course, when he didn't take the handcuffs off of him, little John was mad. And Gacy was like, I'm not going to let you go until you stop screaming. Because you're arguing at me. You're raising your voice. Calm down. And I'll let you go. He said, this is where it gets a little foggy. I I must have strangled him, you know, with this rope. 
He wrapped him up in a tarp. Carol got home. He buried him in the garage because he couldn't go back in the house with the body and bury him in the cross base. He said, he said, sometimes I wake up and just find dead strangled kid, kids in my house. And nothing about that is alarming. No. Definitely wouldn't want to call for help. Or... That doesn't sound like a problem. Carol peeked into his garage because nobody was allowed in the garage. That was his space. That was his man cave. If we had a garage, it would be the same one. You're not allowed in my space. Whatever. <laughs> not for that reason, though. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't want you to touch my shit. I don't want to touch your shit. She peeked in the garage. There are mattresses on the floor, red lights, mirrors on the ceiling and the walls, and it smelled of decay. October 1975, Carol filed for divorce. In March of 1976, it was final. So at this point, he had the house all to himself. Good for her. Yes, good for her for getting out of it when she realized that it was up to some shitty shit. At the same time, you know, if she knew something was going on and she had to call the police, she probably could have saved some lives. Yeah, true. But I doubt, she, like, you know, your husband's this great guy that's a freaking politician, really good in the community. You're not going to think something like that. I would because I think everybody's like that. You might have someone in your garage. Yes, the garage, the, the fictional garage <laughs> that I have out back. You are out back a lot. Well, they're all bad people, though. They deserve it. <laughs> Who are you, Dexter? <clears throat> April 6, 1976. Daryl Sampson, he was 18. He was found in the crawl space. Um, weeks later, Randall Ruffett, he was 15. He disappeared May 14th, 1976. He was found in the crawl space under the front door. He was identified via x-rays. And it was found that he died of asphyxiation. Hours later, he used to call these double events when he did them in the same day. Samuel Stapleton was walking home from his sister's May 14th, 1946. He was found in the crawl space. His bracelet was on his body. He was also identified via x-ray. June 1976. Michael Bowman, he was 17. He was waiting to catch the train to visit his stepfather's brother. His fishing license was found in Gacy's home and later found the body in the crawl space. He was identified by his dental records and the ligature was still around his neck. What is it with serial killers where they have to, they have to take a trophy? Uh, it always gets them caught. But That's it's it's a trophy. It's a memorabilia. It's something that they can, if they can look at it and touch it, they can relive it. Yes, I understand. Yes, I understand. Like I understand that, but at the same time, this is the same thing that can get you sent away forever. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but 
I feel like in a situation where I'm going to kill multiple people, I don't need to keep something of them to relive it. Yeah, I mean, but you're also not a psychopath. It's almost, (laughs) no, I'm not sure. Um, But it's almost impossible for them not to. It's a compulsion. They have to. They have to keep something so they can keep feeling what they're feeling. Well, definitely want to keep your your, uh, driver's license. Fishing license. Anything. Anything with your name on it. I'm sorry, I'm not keeping it. William Billy Carroll, he was 16. He went missing June 13th, 1976. He got in a lot of trouble. He got sent to juvie for stealing a purse, possession of a gun. He was running a teen boy escort service. Oh, perfect. His body as well was found in the crossbase. In July 1976, David Cram. He worked with Gacy at the PMG. He moved in in August. He came home and found Gacy dressed as Pogo the Clown, and he was drunk off his ass. He showed him the handcuff trick. Gacy attacked him, and he said, I want to rape you. David ran to his room, got out the cuffs, locked the door, and he stayed at his house. He stayed there, lived there, kept living there. One month later, Gacy was standing at his front door. He said, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you just give me what I want. David wasn't having that shit. He kept fighting him off, and Gacy just stopped. He said, you ain't no fun, and walked away. The first time that a gay man makes pass at me, we have nothing else to talk about. <laughs> like, like, not homophobic. I just don't care to be subject to bullshit like that. You got a gay man, and, and that's what he likes. That's cool. I'm okay with that. As soon as he makes a pass at me, you know, we just, especially an aggressive pass at me. Like, I'll pull my pocket knife out, and you try to poke me with something, I'm going to poke you with something. Um, David did end up leaving after that. He did help him out with jobs later, you know, here and there, but he did leave. Next was James Hackinson. He was 16 years old. Everybody called him Jimmy. He went missing August 5th, 1976. He was a runaway in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is where Alex lives. He actually called his parents on April 5th just to tell them, hey, you know, I got this, I got this place and, you know, this guy's let me stay with him, this, that, and the other. Didn't tell them who, didn't tell them where, like, hey, I'm here. And he was later found in the call space. He wasn't identified till July 2017 by DNA. August 6th. 1976, Rick Johnston. He was 17 years old. He was leaving a rock concert at the Aragon Ballroom. He was supposed to call his mom for a ride and never did. He was found in the crawl space on top of Hackinson. 
October 25th, 1976, Kenneth Parker, he was 16, and... Michael Moreno, he was 14. They were together. The parents reported them missing immediately. They were buried together under the cross space. They were both raped and strangled. October 26th, William Bundy, he was 19 years old, occasionally worked for PDM, told his family he was going to a party. He was identified in 2011 by his siblings DNA. December 12th, 1976, Gregory Godzik, he was on a date with a girlfriend. He dropped her off. She watched him drive away. He worked for PDM. The police found his 1966 Pontiac and his wallet was found in Gacy's home. And he was found in the crawl space. I'm going to actually stop here for this part. Shut up. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Part 2 will be out next Friday. Please don't forget to rate and review. If you haven't by now, please join the Facebook group. Murder with Friends podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Murder with Friends. Send me an email, murderwithfriends at yahoo.com. And check out the website, www.murderwithfriendspodcast.com. And remember, if you're thinking about murder, talk about it with friends. Bye, you guys. <laughs>